but Jesus could do that no matter how much anybody else would love you and care for you there's only one that could pay this supreme price let's turn today if you would to the book of Romans chapter 6 verse 12 certainly happy to see each one of you here today in the house of the Lord and as brother Keith mentioned earlier we certainly miss those that aren't here some that are sick and some that are still just being very precautious because of the COVID and all that, and we understand that. We certainly pray God will let this thing go through and pass away from us, don't we? Amen. Romans chapter 6, verse 12. What a great, um, a great passage of scriptures that we want to look at today. The marvel of the mystery of the new birth and what it does for us is so wonderful and so amazing. But I find it a marvel on the other side, what it leaves undone, waiting for the adoption of the body. As marvelous as the new birth is and what it does, the marvel of what it leaves undone to me is quite phenomenal as well. Romans chapter 6 verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Now, I'm sure we believe together that this is not speaking to sinners. There's no way this passage could be written to sinners. They would not have the ability to do this. So it's speaking to someone who has received a new power, a new life. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. So it separates you from your members, which can be instruments. But yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead. Oh, so you see, this proves we're talking about folks that have a new birth. This can't be a sinner. Sinners are not alive from the dead. And your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not, shall not have dominion over you. Well, I I want to do better. I, I want to do better, but... I can't help it. The devil made me do it. I can't help it. I ain't got no power over myself. You need the new birth. The new birth empowers us to where sin will not, not possibly, perhaps. You see, friends, if if folks read Romans 7 in the light of Romans 6, a lot of the mysterious thing about Romans 7 will totally be dissolved. But whenever people are scared to death of Romans 7 and they think somehow it's a Baptist chapter in the Bible, 
It's not a Baptist chapter. It's the Holy Word of God. But when we read Romans 7 through this understanding of Romans 6 and to be able to separate it. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For ye are not under the law, but under grace. Aren't you grateful for that today? I made a lot to be remembered today in prayer. Let's bow our heads if you would. Heavenly Father, we love you today. Lord, I want to say how thankful I am that we're able to gather together again. I realize not all of us, Lord, some are still sick. Some are because of their jobs and work and because of their health. They consider it, Lord, still such a risk to, to get out in public or maybe mother and father that they're with or children or whatever more. But we pray, Father, that you'd be mindful of them. Lord, as I look across the congregation today, there are faces that I don't see, and I pray that you'd be with them today. Lord Jesus, may you comfort them and help them. May this thing pass from us, Lord, that we can come back to a state of normalcy. We're grateful, Lord, that we're not having to be restricted to streaming totally, and that we're able to meet together. Father, you see, Lord, in our state that in the, out in the rural areas, it's on the increase. Lord, this COVID in so much that the White House, it issued that the state of Tennessee start requiring a mandate of masks. We pray, Father, that you'd keep this evil from us, Lord. Lord, we enjoy church. We enjoy our lives and the things that we have to do. Lord, how can we assemble ourselves together if we're sick? And won't let us come together. But we pray that you'd be mindful of us, Lord. Not only of this COVID thing, Father, but other sicknesses and diseases that people are dealing with. And depression and sadness and all these things. May the Spirit of God, I pray, move for your children today. Speak to us, Father God, as only you can do today from your word. In the name of the Lord Jesus. And the saints said, God bless you. You may be seated. Turn with me, if you would, to Galatians chapter 4. And let's read again of this uh, allegory of Ishmael and Isaac. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondmaid was born after the flesh. But he of the free woman was by promise. Now, does this mean that Isaac was not born by sex desire? No. No, he was still born by sex desire. But it was a miraculous birth. Notice this, that Paul, in verse 24, he said, which things are an allegory, for these are the two covenants, the one from the Mount Sinai, which gendereth to bondage, which is Agar. Now, we brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. Notice now, he wants to separate, even in the New Testament, that there are two categories of people. By now, of course, the Ishmaelites, the Midianites, 
the Sheabites, all these other Hagarites, Hagarenes, all of these different ones were very noted among the Jews. They had battled them for many years. And it was a common knowledge among them that these other sons of Abraham had caused such trouble for the promised seed. But it goes beyond Isaac and Ishmael. Now we're talking about a new birth. We're talking about a new genos, a new generation. So how is it that there are still two covenants? There are two mountains that we look to. One is Sinai and the other is Jerusalem. One is Agar, which is the New Testament term for Hagar, and one is under another woman. How can there be this brought over under grace if grace applies to every individual in the same measure? If grace is given exactly the grace of forgiveness of sin, the grace of sanctification, the grace of a new life, the grace of the token, the grace of rapturing faith is given to every individual on the same measure. How can there be two covenants in the New Testament? How can there be a church natural and a church spiritual if both of them are under the same measure of the grace of God? Now you see, this doctrine of this was brought in after the New Testament, that there was no difference between the bride and the church. But now watch this man who is able to separate law from grace. And he's going to separate the children of the bondswoman from the children of the free woman. He's going to separate Agar from Sarah. He's going to separate church natural from church spiritual. And he's also going to go a little deeper than that. And he's going to bring in Hebrews 4.12. And he's going to say that the word is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. The dividing of sunder that would separate the spirit and the soul from the marrow and the joints. So the separation, friends, is not just us separating from the world out here, well, we don't drink no more and we don't smoke no more and we don't go to bars and we don't go to dances. Ah, thank God, I'm separated from the world. You're just on your way to the final separation, which is you separating from yourself. Cigarettes is not your greatest enemy. Marijuana, heroin, drinking, that's not your greatest enemy. Your greatest enemy is yourself. And you'll fight that until the last day of your humanity on this earth. It's not something like the new birth when the nature is eradicated forever that you'll never have to deal with that old nature again. The body is still left in this image of neutrality. It bears the image of the beast. Within it contains the potential to serve God, Within it is the potential to yield its members as instruments of great truth and righteousness and great acts and great deeds, which God requires us to do. 
But on the other hand, in this body is also an unregenerate, untamed nature, which is that which we were born with. We were separated by spiritual death from our first husband, which had the rule over us, which was the nature from the soul. But alas, the birth of the soul does not override or bring into total submission and control by birth the fleshlight. But it leaves it in this state by which it is a constant consequence of a war that is going on between you, the body, and you, the soul. Amen. Now, watch this how Paul runs this parallel. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. Now, I find this amazing. We're going to read here in Genesis chapter 16, verse 1. And we have uh, the instance of Abram and Sarai. And we have God speaking to Abram along the way, and we have Abram's response and different facets of his journey. But these that we're going to read today are the very first written words of Sarah, Sarai, that make scripture. Now, I want you to notice the very first words that are recorded of Sarai in scripture. They are not words of faith. They are not words really of great understanding. They are words that typify how that even an elect person that can lean to their flesh can say things that are so contrary to God's will. Now notice, these are the very first words of Sarai that are written in the Bible. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, bare him no children, and she had a handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said unto Abram, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. Notice now what his response is. And Abram hearkened unto the voice of Sarai. Now during this time in the law of the land, which is still observable in the Hurrian text, which is found many, many years ago, written, I've told you about it before, on a cuneiform that was written in a round cylinder. And they wrote different transactions of property and laws and things that was there. So whenever a, a woman lived in this part of the world at that time, she could have a slave or many slaves, and it would be called a bondmaid. Now that woman was actually the property of the mistress. So she could send her mistress, her bondsmaid, in to her husband if she was barren. What Sarai was asking for was perfectly legal by the law of the land, but it was not the promise of God. Amen. Now, I understand that God up to this stage of the revelation had not included Sarai by name in the program. God had not told Abram that Sarai would be the one to bring it. 
But Abram was so my, he had such a desire in his heart to be a father. Now remember he's 75, you know, plus now whenever this happens. And Sarah seemingly is too old to bear. No signs of life at all. And no doubt both of them are so anxious for the promise of God to come to pass in their life. And God doesn't always make everything quite clear. But God will say sometimes generalities and God will leave the particulars out. Now the particulars are many times what gets us in trouble. It's the small fine print. It's that which we really don't think matters much. And God does that many times in order to try his people to see what they will do with that which is unwritten. You see, that's why there's many things that's even left in the message of the hour that are unwritten and unsaid. And people are still wanting the same thing today. So they will take table clock quotes. Well, Brother Branham told my grandpa this and my great-grandfather, and I'm not going to dispute any of those sort of things, but Brother Branham told us to stay with what's on the tapes. Praise the Lord. But yet there are many times that people want to bring God's word to pass and it wasn't said, but it was almost said. You could almost read it into that or you could almost make it say that. Well, I don't want to just almost make it say it. I want to see where it's said. And if it's not said, to be honest with you, I'm not interested in wasting my time and spend a lot of time trying to study it. I have enough to be able to study what's already been written and been said. But notice that God never by name identified Sarai in the revelation. So Sarai looks at herself. Now notice what she does. She looks at herself. And she identifies, I'm old, the milk veins are dried up, I've got this issue, that one, that one, that one, there's no way that I can be able to be a mother. But apparently, Abram has still got life in him. So then she looks at herself, she looks at Abram, and she looks at Hagar. Now the prophet tells us she was a beautiful, younger Egyptian woman. Now, the way the Hurian law was set up, that even though this handmaid would be able to go in to the, the wife's husband and she would conceive of him, according to the Hurian law, actually that child that would be conceived from that union would not belong to the bondsmaid. It would actually belong to the wife because the handmaid was the property of the wife. How cruel slavery was. But yet because this was a slave, then whatever she brought forth, whatever she had, actually belonged to the mistress. Now Abraham, and at this stage Abram, no doubt had a great desire to see Sarai included in the promise, but he didn't really know yet because God hadn't said. But I want you to notice the fault on Abram's part. That Abram never consulted the Lord about this. So instead of Abram getting along with God and going to find out, now Father, you've not said if this is the right way or not, but Sarai wants me to go into this young woman and she thinks maybe that you will use this Egyptian and complete your promise 
through that. Well, let me tell you right now, God don't really need our sinking. God don't need our two cents. Keep it yourself. You're flat broke the way it is. As far as morality and all the things around us, come on, that's right. Well, we, we need everything that God's given us. So Abram enters into this proposal without actually asking God. But yet, you can look at it from his point of view, that looking at himself, knowing that he had only a little more time physically, that the time for his wife was already gone. Here is a young maid that possibly would be fertile, and if he would be able to sow his seed in her, then this might be the way that God would do it. I mean, God didn't say he wouldn't do that, but the catch is God didn't say that he would. Now, looking at it humanly, this is where we get sometimes that we are caught in a dilemma that we don't know what to do. Now, it looks like this might be the right way, but it also looks like this could be the right way. And sometimes you'll find it's not always written which one is. Now, you know that as well as I do, that God doesn't give us the book of our life and say tomorrow when we get up, we'll open it up on Monday and it's like your diary already written. So you go down through the, okay, at nine o'clock, watch this, at 10 o'clock, do that, at 11 o'clock, do this, and now you're gonna come up against this choice today, but that's all right, don't worry about praying about it. Don't worry about running it through the word. I've already got it wrote down here, so when that comes, then go ahead and make this decision. But how cold and indifferent our walk with God would truly be. So God doesn't give us the book of our life and all the choices and all the pitfalls and things that are going to be there. And God said, now watch this and watch this and don't do this and do that and do that. But instead, God gives us great things about our life. And then he gives us the Holy Ghost, which is that person dwelling presence. And it will give us unctions and it will give us leadings and it will actually produce feelings. Y'all know what I'm talking about? That you feel in your heart, don't go that way, don't do this. And there's many times that as humans, we tend to override that. Oh, all the rest of you are innocent, but me, I don't believe that. And yet God will put that there for our benefit. And yet Abram, when now, whenever he's faced with this decision, it must have looked right to him. It must have sounded sensible. Now, we're certainly not gonna make an infidel or an unbeliever out of Abram, but let's make him a human being like all the rest of us because we bleached out the lives of these prophets. We bleached out the sages of the Bible and we've actually taken away from them their humanity. That's one reason folks have gotten so mad at me over the years of preaching that Brother Branham was a man. He was not a God, but he was a man. He was born lost. He needed to be justified, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost. Brother Branham still made mistakes till his life ended on this earth. Why? Because he was a human being. That's right. But yet the people of the message don't want to hear that no more than probably some of the Jews wanted to hear that Abram made a terrible choice. But I'm going to tell you here today, Abram made a terrible choice. He listened to his wife instead of praying and seeking the counsel of God. No doubt, now not, not to be rebellious and not to be stubborn against God's will, but because the will was just not made plain. And instead of him having that personal communion with God about this situation with eagerness and with great desire. Let me tell you something, friend. One of the greatest battles you and I will ever have in this life is us trying to make our Ishmael the spiritual ruler of our walk with God. 
You see, our Ishmael will lead us to the Kabah every time. He will point us toward the east, toward Mecca. He will point us towards something that we can do in our flesh, something that we can reason, something, well, it just makes sense. It just makes sense. Sometimes faith don't make sense. You know, that's right. Now, watch what, what's gonna come out of this in, in verse two. And Sarah said unto Abram, behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go into my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. I found this so amazing this morning when I was looking at this word. In the Hebrew, it is bona, and it means to build to establish, cause to continue, build a house or establish a family. Now the idea of this word is that the children actually is what builds the house because it gives a lasting extension of the merging together of the man and the woman's chromosomes. So it is a mixing together. Actually, they didn't have houses uh, whenever Abram really, as far as what he lived in, but he lived in a tent. So the word that we use for house actually was not addressing a place that they resided, but they resided in a tent which was not a permanent dwelling. But the word they used for house was bonor, which was the establishing of that, that house itself, which was the posterity of children, which is of course what David said in Psalms 127. So the children were a blessing from the Lord. So Sarah is not just wanting a child, but it's that she's saying that God will establish the house of Abraham through this Egyptian instead of me. She's wanting more than a baby. She's looking for the establishment of the house of God, or may I say it so you can understand it, the church. So the house of God would be established by women, denominations, saying we are the bride. God come into us and father our children. They don't line up with your word, they don't believe what you said, but establish your kingdom through us and we will be your house. God didn't do it then, God won't do it now. Now, it was actually until many hundreds of years later that they started using the word house to represent a building where people live. But prior to this, it was the extension of the man's life. So Sarah is saying to Abram, look, I cannot help you build your house. I cannot bear your life. I cannot reproduce your genes. I cannot help you extend your house, your banal. But this worldly woman can. So you might need a little bit of Pentecost with a little bit of Methodist, with a little bit of Baptist to give the bride revival. The bride don't need no Methodist mixture and no Pentecostal mixture. We've got enough word to have our own revival if we'll just pray and ask God to give it to us. 
So the children then by the woman was bestowed. This is the way that it would be that the woman, uh, the handmaid would give birth to a child or children and then she would bestow them upon the mistress and she would actually raise them and wean them into that spot. Then she would relinquish her rights. Now remember the prophet runs this parallel whenever he preaches, seed is not air of the shot. And he said, this is what Luther done which is what Hagar done when Hagar give up her child to another woman's bosom. And then the prophet runs that allegory, that parallel side by side, and he said that Luther gave up his son and he called his son's name justification. Notice then the offspring or the progeny out of the Lutheran revival. Notice that's what he said in February 1965. And he called justification a son. Oh my. So justification was the son of the Lutheran move. And then what happened? The Lutheran denomination took that son and claimed that son as their own. So Luther raised that son by faith when God gave him the revelation, the just shall live by faith. And then what did they do? They relinquished that son over to a denomination called Lutherans today. Show me a revival in any Lutheran church. So what did they do? Then they took that son and they said, God will build a house through us. We are the Lutheran denomination and God will establish his house, his kingdom through us. And what did God do? God left him sitting right there and went right on. What did Wesley do? Wesley gave up his child to the Wesleyan denomination. Well, I wish somebody would preach with me this morning. What did Pentecost do? Gave up their child to the Pentecostal organization. Can I bring her on down home? What's a lot of the message folks done? They've let the spirit of organization come into the message and they've raised up a seven thunder woman, a Perugia woman, a tape woman, a return woman. And they said, we're gonna build up the house of God, no you're not, not with no denominational prostitute spirit on you, you've got to be a virgin under Christ, out of the virgin born bride will God produce, hallelujah, the fulfilled word to Jesus Christ, and if we at Happy Valley Church ever get under that old denominational thing, God will do us the same way, he will walk right off and leave us, oh but I don't want him to walk off to you. I don't want him to leave us here. We can't build his house. We cannot do it without him. We need him every hour. We need him every day. We need him every service. We need him to live. We need him to breathe. We need him with all of our being. So in the Hebrew, she's saying, I will be built up through her. What's amazing is this is exactly the same word that we find in the land of Babel. Come, let us build ourselves a city. Very same word. So here, Sarai's pointing to a way that would be outside of God's provided way. Amen. 
God help us. You see, it's the same for us whenever we desire to build whatever it is outside of God's program for our life. No matter what the plans are, how well they may be constructed and how well they may seem to fit our lives. The thing of it is, is that what God wants for you? Is that what God wants for me? But then do dealt with it a little bit about those who build the house, labor in vain, unless the Lord builds it. Notice this again in verse three. And Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian. After Abraham had dwelt 10 years in the land of Canaan and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. And he went unto Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. Now Abram goes into her and she conceives and then when she finds out she's a child, what does she do? She looks at Sarai, the mother of the promise, and she actually despises her. She has an element of pride and arrogance and she looks down on the promised mother as if though she's greater than her. Well, we get them looks all the time, don't we? They still look down on the promised one. Notice, and Sarai said unto Abram, my wrong be upon thee. You think, what in the world did he do? My wrong be upon thee. I have given my maid into thy bosom. And when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between me and thee. Ain't that a typical human being? We do something and goof it up big time and then we blame it on the Lord and somebody else. Well, I'll tell you one thing. I wouldn't have got into pornography if my wife had done this and that and the other and I wouldn't have done this and said this if so-and-so had done so-and-so. Why don't you just face the facts? You're like all the rest of us. You're full of mistakes. You're full of error. Don't trust that old animal of yours. That old flesh of yours will deceive you. It will lie to you. It will let you down. And then when you get in trouble, oh, my, I told you so. Oh, God, help us. My, so now Sarai comes back and said, the Lord judged between me and thee. And she was the very instigator of this. But Abram said unto Sarai, behold, thy maid is in thy hand. Do to her as it pleases thee. And when Sarah dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face. But here now we go into some years of silence. You see, God had a great program for this woman, but not under the name Sarai. But before Sarai could be changed to Sarah, there had to be a change in her heart. You see, if God would have come down the very next day after this took place and said, now, I'm going to change your name to Abraham. I'm going to change her to Sarai. It would have been a body change without a heart change. We can see from these scriptures that Sarah is not quite right yet. 
So she doubted God's promise. She doubted God's program. There must have been at least some sort of spiritual inclination or she could have never doubted it because the prophet tells us plainly that she doubted God's original word. So whenever she does this, it shows a weakness about Sarai that needed to be changed before the body would be changed. Now we're going to go into about 13 years to where there'll be, let's say this way, there'll be about, about 11 and a half to 12 years of trying silence. And we're not going to hear a whole lot, a great deal about the promise of God being more made manifest to Sarai. But the focus is now going to be on Ishmael. And Abraham is going to raise him up according to Josephus and many other historical writings that now Abraham is instilling in Ishmael. He's going to be the heir. He's going to be the ruler. He's going to be everything that Abraham looked for. And yet here is a prophet of God and he is wrong as wrong can be. Teaching Ishmael that he's going to be the heir, that was not the heir at all. But yet him being a prophet. Now don't get quiet on my children. Prophets make mistakes. And those of you who cannot say that cannot quote that quote. Well, praise the Lord. So here Abram is teaching and pouring all of this effort, all of this work. Why sure he was his son biologically, yes. But he was not the promised son of the word. And yet he nurtured him and fed him and took care of him. And remember, Abram had this weakness even when it come with Lot because he'd done Lot exactly the same way. He had no heir. Can't you see where a great personal battle is under the Abrahamic faith? It is us being able to identify ourselves in the proper place of the scriptures of us being able to look, not you and Lot, not you and Ishmael, you and Isaac. The real you, there is your promise that God's to give you. But if Satan cannot stop you from recognizing that there's one God and believing many great truths of the Bible, then he will try to stop you on the fullness of your inheritance. No matter how much land Abraham had, what good was it going to do him if he did not have an heir? And this is what he told God. He said, God, what am I going to do? The only one I've got is this Eliezer. This Eliezer, which is from the house of Damascus, can't you see where the problem was? Abraham battling for years. He first thought it was Lot. Then he thought it was going to be Ishmael. Oh my, then he thought, well, here, here comes Eliezer. What is it? It's who's going to build the house. Who's going to build a house? Can you imagine the people that day following Abraham? And they probably had quotes wrote down where Abraham said, Ishmael will be my heir. One day Ishmael will stand in the pulpit and do this and this and this. And Ishmael will lead the sheep and Ishmael will do something else. But that was Abraham saying that, not God. Hallelujah. Now notice this matriarchal position that Sarah tried to make it work, but with what? A substitute. 
So she wants to make her matriarchal position come into view, but through another way, another woman that gives birth to this child, then she will embrace this child and say, now this is my child. I don't care how much she said it was her child. It was not her child. Now let me go ahead a little farther and say it this way. I don't care how much you think your past is your past, it's not your past. I don't care how much you think your body and your shortcomings and your mistakes and your failures is the real you. It is not the real you. You can call it mother, you can call it jackrabbit, you can call it whatever you want to call it, but the prophet of God has identified to us, you never done it in the first place. Oh, hallelujah. You see, in order to enter into this great position, now she's going to be the matriarch of this great, great union that God has prophesied about on his word. But there must be a change in her heart. Now, let me compare it here. We look at tests and trials of life and things that we go through and we wonder, Lord, why would you let this happen? Why would you let that happen? Yet, every one of us, if we'll be honest, we'll be able to look back after trials and tests have come and gone and we say, my goodness, I I learned so much out of this. I wouldn't take nothing for that. I've had several folks that's went through the church here in the last six months or so, and they've gone through some real difficult times. And talking with them, and they've told me, you know, different ones of them at various times, I wouldn't take nothing, Brother Donnie, for this thing I've been through. And say, oh my goodness, I wouldn't. You think, could they really say that? Why would they say it? Because they got something out of that, a closer union with the Lord Jesus, a stronger faith, you know, a, a greater understanding of his plan for their life over and over again. And yet they said, here and hear the word. You mean the word alone can't do that? Sometimes we have to experience things. Sometimes we sit there and nod our head. Amen, amen, amen. That's right. But we still don't get it until we go through it. And then when we go through things, it changes us. Oh, you say, well, I, in my mind, I understand it. If God in his mind could not imagine how you feel, then you tell me your mind is so strong you can imagine how people will feel when God couldn't do it? God, the great eternal himself, could not place himself in his mind and really think, Harry, I'm gonna think now. I'm gonna think how, how Harry feels. I'm gonna think how J.D. feels and I'm gonna think it's so strong, I'll become it. No, he could not do it. Well, if God cannot do it, you and I cannot do it either. We cannot think ourselves into some of the spiritual status that God wants us to have. We must go through it. Now, Sarah is going through a time, hope you understand this, it's not gonna be a time of glory. It's not gonna be a time of greatness, the things she's gonna experience, but actually Sarai, until she changes over, is gonna go through a time of humiliation. You imagine the shame because now Abram's becoming a greater and greater man while living and living in this land. People come to trade with him and barter and so on. And you imagine when they begin to hear this baby cry, oh, have you got a baby? Have you got a child? Well, yes, yes, it's, it's my child. Oh, congratulations, Sarah. Oh, it's, it's not mine, actually. It's, it's Hagar, it's my maid. But, but I've taken it and, and I'm raising it. So what is God doing? God is molding something in Sarai. God is molding something in her heart, in her nature, that is preparing her for a complete body change. 
Oh my. But of course, Sarah, I no doubt wanted what we want, that God would just mold the body change in us and we'd bypass all of our knocks and blunts in life and our mistakes and so on. And God would just give it. Nah, friend, he ain't gonna do it that way. Now we want to enter into a spiritual matriarch position of the universe because actually the bride of Christ is the queen of heaven. She is the very epitome of God's love in the feminist form. Oh, it wouldn't be wonderful if we could just be spoke into that place. But God wants us to take a character from this human life that has been molded and made and shaped through hard trials and tests and through the backside of the desert. Why? That's his choice. I'm not sure, but we'll understand it, I'm sure, once we get there. You see, before she could enter into this true matriarchal position, she must reach an element of peace and contentment within herself. Instead of struggling, what do we see about this in Genesis 16:1? We see a woman struggling with the will of God. We see a woman trying to understand, a woman trying to perceive, and a woman feeling like God needs her help to bring it to pass. She's not at peace with the promise of God. You see, when we are at peace with the promise of God and we're sick and we're prayed for, if we don't get well tomorrow and next week, next month, that has nothing to do with it. We still believe God's word. Well, if God, you know, goes down through here and lets it go on for months, I'm still healed. I'm still delivered. But a person that doesn't have peace with the promise, they're constantly looking. They're looking. They're searching. They're trying to help God. Oh, God, what can I do? God, can I do this? God, can I do that? Sarai. Sarai. You see, these 13 years were a constant humiliation. 13 years of molding and moving and shaping her heart into a matriarchal heart, not only of a little boy, but of a divine promise. No doubt she was a loving substitute mother because probably by now she had accepted the fact, well, I guess this is it. Ishmael's as far as I'll go. I'm justified and I'm sanctified. I guess I can't get the Holy Ghost, so I'll just go to church, live a pretty good life, and do whatever I can do. Maybe God will have mercy on me at the white throne judgment. No doubt there's people that have that attitude this morning that the Holy Ghost is identified with you before the foundation of the world, and he's only waiting on you to stand up to your matriarchal position but you've accepted justification and sanctification. That's as far as you've gone in your walk with God. Notice this, through this pain, through this humiliation and suffering, something is happening to Sarah. Her ways are changing. You see, only then can Sarai become Sarah. Now I'll just preach to me for the next few minutes so y'all won't take it personal. All right? Now Donnie, I'm telling you something this morning, son. One of the worst things you can do is take your human makeup and make it the spiritual guide of your life. 
You see, so many of us, we wonder, well, Brother Donnie, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't have an Ishmael. Who is it that fears God's promise won't come to pass? It's your Ishmael. You're identifying and thinking that because you don't run around and you don't do this and that, that you don't have a black dog. You think because you don't go out here and commit adultery on your wife, well, where does that fear come from? Where does that doubt come from? Where does the question of God's word come from? You pack it within your flesh. Oh my, but you see, it's only then when Sarah has been changed inwardly that Sarah can be changed outwardly. I know when the body change is going to be. I know when it's going to be. Now, not a, not a day or a month or a year or a second or nothing like that. When the bride is ready. You see, when we as Sarai refuse to let Ishmael be the guide of our soul. But instead, we let our soul guide Ishmael. Boy, you all are quieter this morning, a bunch of Baptists. Now, notice this. Chapter 18, of course, is the great illuminating chapter of the body change in Genesis 18. But we go in these years of silence that Sarai is becoming molded day after day, week after week, and no doubt becoming a, a wonderful mother. And she would take this child and love it as her own as much as she possibly could. And she would still, though it was hung over her, that she knew that, that Hagar was still telling him things. And Hagar was still feeding him things. Now, like it or not, he is still half Egyptian. Amen. Whoo, Jesus. Well, if I was you, I wouldn't look down too bad on Ishmael since your first birth is between Satan and Eve. You say, Brother Donnie, where's the serpent see that? Tell me where it ain't. It's all over everywhere. I'm looking at a bunch of it this morning because I can't see your soul, but I can see the offspring between Satan and Eve. You say, where in the world do you get that at? Oh, I'm, I'll share it with you just momentarily. You see, God wants to bring us to chapter 18 of our lives, and that is the body change. But God will not bring the forced body change until the willing change has been inside of us. To where that we make this Ishmael Subject to the word. Well, he always wanted to do it. Now, are we going to convert Ishmael to Isaac? No way. He'll always rebel. He will be stubborn. He'll be a wild donkey of a man. Amen. Some of y'all wonder why you're so hard-headed. I don't wonder at all. Come on now. If y'all can't say amen, at least bray real loud. Oh, my. Notice this again in Galatians 4, 22, for it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. Now, Paul actually puts this under the New Testament name, but in reality, the changed Abraham didn't have two sons. Ishmael's father 
was Abram. Glory. Glory. Ishmael's father was Don Reagan or whatever your daddy's name was. Amen. But the father of Isaac was Abraham. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, can't you see our natural birth? Who is the father of my natural nature coming under the fallen Adamic nature that I inherited? Oh, is that right? But who is the father of the birth of my soul? It's not the first Adam. It's not Don Reagan. It's not a pastor somewhere. It's not a prophet somewhere. The father of the birth of my soul is almighty God. Amen, amen. And it's the two strings of my fathers that fight within me. Notice this in Galatians 4.28. Now, we brethren as Isaac was are the children of promise. But as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the spirit, even so it is now. Now remember when Paul writes this, the Ishmaelites, the Hagarenes, all of them, they're, they're pretty much, you know, they're not even around them. So it's not like it is now, the Palestinian conflict, to where they're battling for the land. The Roman Empire was the one that was ruling when Paul wrote this. So it was not necessarily making reference to the Ishmaelites, the Midianites, the Medianites, and all the rest of those ites, but he was making a spiritual reference to the battle that goes with than us. Paul come to a great revelation when he said that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. Now that's not a very uplifting scripture, is it? That is not a great, wonderful scripture that crowns our humanity with crowns of gold. But you know what? It's a great revelation if you'll ever come to it. But some of you think all of heaven is in your flesh. Some of you think your flesh is so good. And I think this and I think that. You're crowning Ishmael. I said you're crowning Ishmael. Notice this, Hebrews chapter six, part three. Abraham had many children. He had one before he had Isaac, which was showing the slipping up of the unbelief of Sarah, who wanted Hannah, he pronounces it Hannah, to bring the child thinking she was too old and God to bypass and make some other way from the way he had promised to do it. But God keeps his promise, no matter how unreasonable it may seem. Notice Sarah thought that maybe she could have Hannah, or Hagar rather, her maid to give birth to a baby through Abraham. And she would take it and that became Ishmael. Listen what it cost. Which was a thorn. Ah, so Ishmael is a thorn in the flesh, is he? From then until now. Think of what one mistake. Think of what one mistake of an elect woman done. The wars and all the conflicts between the Arabs, the Ishmaelites, praise the Lord. One mistake. You see, God can forgive us of our mistakes, friends, but when we do wrong, we're sowing seeds. And forgiveness does not dig them seeds up out of the ground. 
Praise the Lord. It is still ongoing now. And it's worse now than it was in 1957. Notice this in Genesis 21.8. And the child grew. Now we come to a time, of course, whenever Isaac has been born. He's about three years old, something like that. And Ishmael is 16. Now he's weaned and oh, what a happy time it is. They're having a great celebration. And the child grew and was weaned and Abraham made a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah, notice it's no longer Sarai. And Sarah saw the son of the denominations which she had born unto Abraham mocking. I've looked at this word and studied this word for years, but I was so overwhelmed Friday whenever I was looking at this, I could not believe it. I just simply could not believe it. Look at this Hebrew word. Mocking is the Hebrew word methshahek. You can see the Hebrew writing there, and it has the same root as itshak, which in the English is Isaac. Therefore, the way Moses applies this word, he uses it as a verb, so a word of action. So he said, Ishmael was Isaacing. Ishmael was Isaacing. In other words, Ishmael was acting like Isaac. Lord have mercy. So Ishmael, the flesh, was acting like it was the heir to the promise. Lord, children, I want you to think today of all the issues in our life and our walk with God. We felt led to do this and felt led to do that and felt led to do this. Look at all the crazy stuff that people blame on God. I felt led to do this and I felt, li- I felt led to put my wife away and, and marry another. Well, you didn't feel led of God to do that. That was the devil that done that, not the Holy Ghost. And people will take their makeup and they'll take, we, we take our oddities and our peculiarities and we think we're being led of the Spirit. People that are, you know, we're all different and we're all unique and, and God's not against that. But what God has a problem is, is whenever we will let Ishmael go to Isaacing. And we'll let Ishmael declare, what I, well, I want to do this, and I want to do that, and I think I need to do this, and I believe this and that and the other. And we try to make Ishmael Isaac. What is Ishmael doing? Ishmael wants Isaac's position in the family of Abraham and in the economy of God. So Ishmael is acting like Isaac. So he's ridiculing, he's making fun, and he's harassing him, but he's doing it in the form of Isaac. Oh, Lord. Think of it. How many times that our old flesh, our old maker, well, I think this, and I believe that. My goodness, as a pastor, how many times have I seen it that people got in such situations in their life, and they thought it was the Lord leading them. It wasn't the Lord. It was this. But we'll turn it around nine times out of ten and blame it on the Lord. Well, I just knew it was the Lord. I just knew it was the Lord. It was your Ishmael acting like your Isaac. He's one to lead you. He's one to guide you. 
Oh, my. But you see, Ishmael was a natural man, reproduced by Abraham's strengths. But Isaac was a miracle son. Your new birth is a miracle, child. Your new birth is supernatural. Amen. Isaac, even though God used human instrumentality, it was a supernatural birth. And God's issue is this. When we will try to replace the supernatural birth with a man-made one. You understand why folks have pulled away from the message in the last several years with all this stuff going on? Don't you understand why? It proves they were only Ishmael Isaacing. They were acting like Isaac, screaming amen to the quotes, the same quotes now they hate, the same prophet now they hate. How could they do that? They was never born again. We gave them a book. We gave them a tape. We indoctrinated them. But how many of them ever got to Jesus Christ and experienced a genuine new birth? I don't want our children just to quote the prophet. I don't want our children just to know the prophet's life story. I want them to know Jesus Christ, to be filled with the Holy Ghost. If not, their Ishmael will act like Isaac. You see, the Koran teaches that Ishmael was the child of promise. So the Muslims believe that God's covenant was with Ishmael, not Isaac. As a matter of fact, they teach that Abraham took Ishmael up to the rock on Moriah. They also teach that Abraham and Ishmael went into that part of Arabia and built the Kaaba. Any of y'all know what that is? All right, I'll explain it to you. It's a stone structure which is thousands of years old. Been rebuilt and rebuilt. But there's a black stone, which is the foundation stone. And they teach that Abraham and Ishmael went there into Arabia, Saudi Arabia, and built this place to worship Allah. Well, Abraham come out of heathenism. Why would he turn around and go back into it? Abraham never worshiped Allah, but Elohim. Abraham didn't get a letter off of Allah's name. He got a letter off of Elohim's name. So it is a cube. Now what's amazing, it historically, is, those of you that do know anything about it, you know that it actually became a focal point for many of the heathenistic religions and worship. ISIS, different ones. And then when Muhammad comes on the earth, then Muhammad claiming to be one of the seed of Abraham. Now actually, Muhammad was born down through the tribal lineage from Ishmael. Uh-huh. So here's in Ishmael, they want to make him take Isaac's 
place. Ishmael brought pain, difficulty, hardship in the home. As soon as he was conceived, arguments started. That sounds like the basis of Islamic religion, you know. Oh, I know you ain't supposed to say anything about that, but you say, I don't follow them supposed rules. I follow the Holy Ghost. I know it's not accepted by the left, and I really don't care whether the left likes it or really who don't like it. I'm going to preach the truth today. Y'all want to hear the truth? You want me to tickle your ear? So they know that the Bible is a book of the Jews. As a matter of fact, Muhammad even calls the people the Jews in his writings, the Koran, he calls them the people of the book. But God also tells them it's all right for them to kill them. So he's one confused man, wasn't he? So because the Bible places Isaac in the middle of God's promise, then they must needs have another book. So then an angel comes to him in a cave and begins to reveal, which I don't, I don't doubt that at all. I don't doubt that he didn't see some kind of supernatural being, but I know which side did it come from. Wasn't an angel from heaven. Well, praise the Lord. Then what did it do? It put Isaac out of the covenant and put Ishmael in. Then you have to have your own book. To make your life. Here we got now. So we got Judaism, we got Christianity, and we've got Islam. All three of the major faiths of the world, all three of them with their roots from who? Abraham. And all three of them saying the others is wrong. Each one of them saying, No, you're not the bride, we are. And they say, No, you're not, we are. Well, one of them has got to be. Praise the Lord. So what will your flesh try to do? It will try to take your book of your natural birth and make it the predominant force, the Koran of your life. And then if the preacher preaches something or you read something in the message or you see something in the scripture that you don't like, well, I just don't believe that. I just don't think I'm going to do it. I think Brother Donnie's a little bit legal, or I think Brother Donnie leans too much this way, Brother Branham, that's just Brother Branham's idea, so you've got your own Koran, ain't you? Well, 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 y'all didn't even know you had a Koran, did you? Some of y'all said, I ain't never read the Koran in my life. Oh, yes, you have. You live in that Koran out of your life every day, honey. Every day you follow your flesh, the Koran of your life is leading you around and the Kaaba of your life, guess what the Kaaba is? It is your own will that you will worship and exalt above the word of God. Well, I want this and I want that. Don't make too much fun of those Islamic people for being heathens. Any idol that we put before the word of God, we are committing idolatry. Let's stand. Look, friends, look where Israel in the world is right now. So the Muslims want to claim they are the promised people. 
Their book is the promise book, the Kabai is the place to go to worship. That's why they will always, no matter where they are, I've seen them around the world. I seen some down in Knoxville at Walmart a few years ago. And it's after 9-11, so I was a little bit anxious, needless to say. They opened up their trunk and they got out their prayer mats and they figured out which way was east and they got down there, Allah, Allah, Allah. I got my truck headed out of there. <laughs> you never know when they'll be packing a bomb somewhere. But why do they do that? Because the Kaaba is in the east. Well, why, why do they want Jerusalem? Why would they want Jerusalem? Because he supposedly had a night vision and he went up to Jerusalem. And he supposedly was carried up into heaven. So then what does that do? Give them claims on the capital city of Isaac. So Medina, the Kaaba, and now Jerusalem. So they build their big edifice over this rock, which supposedly... Abraham was going to offer his son, which supposedly the Ark of the Covenant set in the hewed out spot. I saw a picture of it last night. A hewed out spot on this gigantic rock. And they called it the Dome of the Rock. And no Jew was allowed to set his foot on that mount. So what do they want to say? This is ours. And Isaac, you stay out. Boy, you say that makes me so mad at them bunch of people. Well, turn it inwards. Because your Ishmael wants to tell your Isaac, you ain't telling me what to do. If I don't want to go to church, I ain't going. You ain't telling me to worship my hand. You ain't telling me to raise and praise God. I ain't doing it. You Ishmaelite. Can you imagine, friends, these people teaching their children? I saw a video the other day of a three-year-old girl, which was a Muslim. She was being asked by her instructor why she hated the Jews. Because she said the Jews are pigs and apes, and we will kill every one of them. You see, those who live after the flesh will die after the flesh. Now we, we gasp when we say, oh, it's terrible. Oh, it's awful. When you follow your flesh instead of the Spirit of God, you're living after the flesh too. When I follow my flesh instead of the Spirit of God, aren't you glad for mercy? So the ultimate question is this. Which son is the heir? Now, most of you Christians that love God with all of your heart, you would die for the Bible. The Muslims will die for the Koran. They say the Bible has been interpreted so many times and went through 40 different authors and written over a period of 1,500 years. How in the world could it be authentic? The Koran come from one person, they say, which is the voice of God. And they would die for the Koran. They believe they're on the right side, Ishmael. We believe our promised son is not Isaac. 
but Jesus. But they say Jesus did not die. And they say Jesus was not a son because Allah has no son. So Jesus was not a son of God. He was a good man and a prophet. Oh, you won't hear this on CNN or NBC or any of the rest of those places. But we're children of truth. Don't focus so much on Mohammedism and all that sort of thing. The focus I want you to focus on today is you. And your Ishmael trying to Isaac around and lead you. And you fall back upon your human nature and make that the leadership of your life. And if you'll recall, you acted the same way for the devil when you was a sinner. What was it then? Ishmael. What is it now? Ishmael. God don't take converted Ishmael. He can never be converted. It's got to be Isaac. Since 1948, whenever they were declared a nation, the UN actually sanctioned it. (laughs) Right. The UN sanctioned it. David Ben-Gurion stands up. We stood there a couple years ago in this little hall. Wasn't as big as this building here. Where he stood up and declared that Israel was a state. The people danced and shouted and jumped. And while they're jumping, the Arabs are gathering together. They're getting their MiG-29s. They're getting their tanks And the next day, thousands times thousands times thousands of Arabs gather against them. A jubilee one day, a war the next. You'll have to fight for every inch of the ground you claim in God. Your soul says you're healed. Your body says, look at your symptoms. Your soul says you're delivered. This besetting sin, it ain't going to bother you no more. But your body will say, I still want it. Which one are you going to listen to? The Koran? Or the holy word of God. Declare your statehood. This belongs to us. I told you before it was Hadrian the emperor. Which wanted to block the name of Israel out from the land. So he changed the name. Changed the name from the land of Israel. Oh, you know why they hate archaeology in Israel? You know why they hate it? When they find a little old seal like they found six months ago, and it was made to the name of Barak. One of the scribes that lived during the time of Jeremiah, and they dug it up out of the dirt and been buried for all these thousands of years. You know why they hate it when they find that? Because it shows Israel's pre-identity. You know why the devil hates predestination in this message? It shows your pre-identity before you become a mortal. He don't want you digging back in the archaeology of the Lamb's book of life and find out you was a seed before you was a human. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So every coin, every seal, 
everything they find proves because the Palestinians say, this is our land, it belongs to us. But every rock predates Palestinia. Every quote I read about election predates my natural birthia. may be an immortal so I keep digging in the archaeology of God's word hallelujah they had a war in 1948 1949 because the way the wind blows from the Gaza Strip over to Jerusalem, the capital, the wind blows that basically one direction all the time. Every week or so, they will load up explosives in balloons, small balloons, birthday-sized balloons, and put them up and release them, and when they do, to get them across the wall so it'll explode and destroy Jews, which they hate to this day. Why? One woman. Take my maid. Take my maid to be your wife. Oh my. Well, let me not keep you waiting until next week. Spoken words, original seed. But every man, no matter whether he's a pope, priest, bishop, Whatever he is, he dies because he's a hybrid. That's exactly. He was born between Satan and Eve. Can't you see why we needed an act of kenosis for the mighty God to empty himself? Wow, what was our problem? Birth. Our entire problem was a birth issue. So we needed to be reborn. Praise God. You love him with all your heart. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, how great are thy words. How great is thy truth. Lord, we thank you no matter how much Satan tries to impersonate it. It still lives. Lord God, imagine if Sarai and Abram could have looked forward in time and seen what they would have brought on their posterity. She would have never made such a fatal mistake. If Eve in the Garden of Eden could have looked forward and saw what she was fixing to do to all of her daughters, If Adam would have looked forward and seen what he was going to do to all of his children, I find it hard to believe they would have followed through. But then I bring it back to us, and I think if we could look forward to some of the foolish things we do, if we'd see the damage, the harm to our children, our grandchildren, to whoever more, would we still do them? Or would we say, no, Lord, help us to realize Our lives, we belong to a body. We belong to a move. We belong, we're members of each other. 
Father God, help us. Help us, Lord Jesus, to realize. Brother Branham said that he feared, not that he would backslide, but afraid that he would cause a stumbling block in front of somebody. He wanted his neighbors to know he was a Christian. He wanted the people around him to know that he was a Christian. Yet, Lord, so many in this message are so independent and they don't care. They don't consider it. nobody else they go to church with. They want their way and they don't care. They're so hard-headed and so stubborn. Help us to realize, Father, we're not following the Bible. We're following our handwritten Koran. We're making Ishmael the ruler of our lives and leading him to the Kaaba and worshiping in the form of idolatry. Because you said stubbornness was as witchcraft. How rebellion is this idolatry, Lord? Help us, Father, I pray. Forgive us, Lord Jesus. Oh, but from the very promise, the very time that Sarah was changed, and the Bible says, God visited Sarah. Praise God. What a great honor to be visited by God. Would you mind if I bring it down this morning, sir? And say once again, God visited Happy Valley. God visited Evening Light down in Louisiana and visited this church and that church, assemblies around the world. God visiting us to speak to us, to change us. Maybe we're in a time of our humiliation, a time of difficulty and trials and tests. Before our change. Maybe it's to change our heart before the finale of our bodies, Lord. To take that last speck of Reagan control out. That last speck of Yance control or Whitson control or Smith or Brown or whatever we are. To where the soul finally achieves its ultimate goal. Can say, I do nothing. But what my Father shows me. I and my Father are one. We will not go to a kebab. We will not go to some square cube of man-made theory. But we will ascend to the new Jerusalem. The mother of us all. Help us, Lord Jesus. We worship you, Lord God. Can we just raise our hands, friends, in the presence of the King? Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God. You want to be that type of Christian today? That you bring your Ishmael subject. You know, the Bible tells us whenever Abraham died, that Isaac and Ishmael they met together again and they buried Abraham. Both of them could make claim this was our father. But we have no historical account or any other scriptural account where they ever met again. So at the death of a dispensation,
A time when God is not now just dealing with Abraham, but with the promised seed. Ishmael and Isaac go their separate ways. They go their separate ways. As Jacob and Esau had to do the same thing. And you already know you're that too. They had to go their separate ways. And it's amazing because it'd be so much easier if it was that way. You know, our flesh go one way and our soul go the other. Well, that'll happen, of course, when we die or when we're changed. But the thing of it is we live in the same unit. But from within the soul, the flesh will always bother you. It'll be carnal, sticky, and it'll bother you. But you can keep it under control by the Holy Ghost. Praise God. Aren't you so glad? How many wants to be that type of a believer today? You want to be an Isaac that brings laughter? Look, friends, what's caused you and I so much problems? It's our Ishmael. What caused us so much difficulty? Many of you today still pack scars in your life because of failures and things. Your Ishmael done, and it bears over on your walk, your Isaac walk, because of humiliation and shame and things that you've done. Oh, God. May God help us today to sever us from that old life. Oh, we worship you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. Hey, let's sing something to the Lord. Can we just worship him a little bit? Don't let Ishmael now try to lead you to Kabbalah. Well, I'm going to Rome Mountain after church, and I've got a picnic, and I've got to get my chicken and my taters and my corn. Forget about your chicken. Let that old thing squawk its head off. Let's just worship God a little bit. Let's spend a little time in the presence of him who has changed our souls and made us children of the promise. But I'm tired, Brother Donnie, I'm tired. Sure, that's Ishmael talking to you. That's your Ishmael. That's what Brother Branham identifies in question and answers 1964 with Romans 7. He said, my flesh here is telling me. I said, I about passed out two or three times. My flesh here is telling me I'm tired and I'm wore out. Y'all think your flesh is telling you, well, go smoke and go run around. No, that same voice is telling you, it's, it's too late. You're too tired to worship God. Well, sit down. Hurry up, Brother Donnie. Don't you know who that is telling you that? Ishmael. He's quoting you your Koran. He don't want you to worship God. He don't want you to praise God. I say we worship him anyhow. I say we praise him anyhow. Let's sing something there. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Let's sing it now. Close our eyes. Let's just make love to him. That's the way Step aside, Ishmael. I'm not going to the Kabbalah. I'm going to the inner field. I need more of you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. There's no room in Ishmael left in me. Start to the 
That's the way it's got to be.
worship Him.
this morning as you go remember the service Wednesday when I think about the Lord when I think about the Lord how he saved me how he raised me how he filled me with the Holy Ghost and how he healed me to the Turn me up. 